the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. So let's see who's up. Greg, welcome to the program. Hey, Gino. Um Wanted to get your take on this whole Alistair Begg uh, situation. Um, I I just, you know, I can see both sides of it, and I was just curious on what you thought. Yeah, I, I obviously, um, I, I love Alistair Begg. I, I've enjoyed his ministry. I've had him at our church. I've had, you know, broken bread with him, so to speak, and and I think that. Part of the challenge that we have is to be gracious in our speech and to be careful in our speech. Now, let me just say right off the bat that I think that Alistair Begg, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but in my view, he misspoke and he gave bad advice to a, a grandmother who said, you know, sh- should I attend um, a gay wedding? And uh, the the way that I would talk about that issue, I would have I would have addressed the issue way differently than Alistair Begg did. Um, I can't th- think of any good reason to attend a gay wedding and or a homosexual wedding, and the the uh, the reasons that have been given I don't find compelling. That it's you know that this is an act of love, or this is how I can show um, how that I loved my you know that I love my family member or my friend or wh- whatever. Because again, I think that part of the challenge that we have is that we have to ask and answer some different kinds of questions, and that is: is it loving? to um, deny Christ. And I think that this is the key issue. I don't think the key issue, uh, you know, people will argue, is sin offensive to God? Yes. Um, Is homosexuality more offensive to God than adultery or promiscuity or all of the other sins that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 6, verses 9 through 10? So if a person says, well, would you would you attend a wedding um, of your adultery friends? You know, but both of them, uh, will, you know, cheated on their their respective spouses and, and then married the cheater. <laughs> it, uh-huh. And and the way that I would answer that is there's something different about a gay wedding because it's not a wedding. It's it. The problem is it's a celebration of two people 
who are living in a lifestyle that God has already declared to be immoral and unnatural. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all. So, but just think about that passage, just in its, in it, not in its context, just as a statement. Marriage should be honored by all. Well, if marriage should be honored by all, then why not gay marriage being honored by all? And, and the right way of thinking about that is when the writer of Hebrews is talking about marriage between a man and a woman, it, it has both a cultural and a biblical meaning. But, but th- this, a gay wedding dishonors by marriage by perverting its meaning. So in, in a way, um, a lot of people have written on this. And one of the people who have written uh, to me convincingly on this subject, but never mentions Alistair Begg by name, is Carl Truman. And um, he writes a fairly persuasive commentary on why he thinks it's a bad idea to, to attend gay weddings. Now, having said all of that, um, with Alistair Begg, you know, he has been um, canceled, if you will, by for, for like John MacArthur at, right. con- at the Shepherds Conference. Both Alistair Begg and John MacArthur, if I understand the story correctly and if I'm reading it right, that they both agreed that it's not a good idea for Alistair Begg to go because of the drama surrounding all of this, that that now it's become a It'll distraction. It'll take the focus off the Shepherds Conference. Right, right. It's a distraction. So if you were to ask me, do I still love Alistair Begg? The answer is yes. Do I, have I benefited greatly from his ministry? The answer is yes. Um, does the vast majority of things that Alistair Begg say, are they wonderful, biblical, edifying, and encouraging? The answer is yes. Um, but in my view, he is wrong about this. And, and again, we're back to how, so, so what do we do? Um, you know, I had a, (laughs) a crazy interview with John MacArthur years ago and I foolishly said, you know, I don't agree with everything that you say. And then I caught myself and I said, but it's, it seems to me that I can't ignore anything you say. And you know how yeah. John MacArthur helped me get my foot out of my mouth? And how did he, he go, do that? He said, ah, a Berean. <laughs> 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 J- yeah. Just those, just yeah. those two words, ah, or three words, ah. If you don't count, ah, if you count ah as a word, ah, yeah. a Berean. And so, um, you know, his part think, of his. Do you think? Do you think Alistair was looking at it from the perspective of the grandmother, who obviously probably, I, I'm sure Alistair probably checked her motives as to why she would want to go to this wedding. And then she probably confirmed to him, hey, I don't agree with homosexuality. I don't agree with this wedding, but I want to go and take the take a wedding gift for Bible, you know, to give to my right. grandson. Right. And, and then, then you got to ask, okay, well, 
Um, is and, she using that as an excuse to attend the wedding? Only God and her know, you know, what well, her real motive is there. So the way that I would respond to that, because this is the exact point and the exact argument, that I'm doing this to show love for my grandchild. And the way that I would respond to that is at what point do you draw a line and you go, I would say to my grandchild, why in the world would you ask me to dishonor the Lord in this way? Because it's admirable to show love for a friend. It's good to look for opportunities to witness and show kindness and love your homosexual friends. But but other motives, again, there's all kinds of motives and reasons that people might give. But I can't get around. I personally can't get past the fact that a homosexual wedding ceremony is a celebration of sin. We support our alcoholic friends, but we don't, you know, they say, well, please come to the bar with me. Please drink with me. The answer is no, I'm not going to do that. Or imagine you're supporting your uh, uh, friend who's addicted to pornography by by joining in, and you say, no, the way that I'm going to love you and serve you is by making you accountable and confront you and ask you to repent and turn from your sin and to trust Christ. Yeah, and I know you're going into a break, but how do you... Yeah, if you don't mind holding... Okay, yeah, I'll hold. Yeah, I'm happy to address that issue. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. Talking with Greg, and Greg, I know you had another point that you wanted to make, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to make that point. Yeah, sure. Um, and I agree with you on the whole thing as well. I mean, I, I could not go to a gay wedding. But uh, at the same time, you can look at some folks who would say, well, Jesus was invited by sinners who were partiers. They were debauchery. They were drunk. They were, you know, they he, he and he went. So, I know, they're think, celebrating. I, I actually don't think that that's probably true. I think that the way that I would say that he comes into a setting where sinners, prostitutes, and drunks show up, but that in that setting, he doesn't get drunk and he doesn't oh, do anything debauched. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, uh, the, the way that I, I would think about it is he, clearly he does shake up cultural norms. You know, when he sits at the well with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, you know, why are you talking to this lady? You know, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. That's not something that we do. Um, But I think there's something different about a same-sex or transgender ceremony. It is so clearly not God's design. And then I would go one step further. It's evil, and it's sinful. And then I would go even one other step forward, that sometimes, sometimes we have to, the the way that I would put this is love requires me to choose Jesus over the human relationships in my life when the choice is inviting me to dishonor 
disobey, deny Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so that's so. Um, imagine the grandmother says, "Do you, uh, but I don't feel like I'm dishonoring, disobeying, or denying Jesus." And the, and then I would say, "Let's say you had a daughter who's pregnant. Do you love her? Of course I do. Will you drive her to the abortion clinic? Will you drive no, her I, to the clinic? No, obviously not. Why?" Using Begg's reasoning, driving her to the clinic is a way of demonstrating your love for her. Mm-hmm. Or imagine, you- imagine someone wants to destroy their life with drug use. Or imagine a person wants to destroy, destroy their life, you know, some other way. And you go, you know what? I am not going to cooperate with you in your rebellion against God. I am not going to do that. I love you, and my my role is to to love you and to ask you to repent and to trust Christ in this situation. And so Jesus points out, are there times when that's exactly it, it, is is what's necessary. Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even in his own life, he cannot be my disciples. In what sense? Is he calling me to hate my mom and dad? Of course not, because the Bible says, honor your mother and your father. Um, so, and remember, I haven't come to bring unity, but a sword to pit father against son and mother against daughter-in-law. And so under what circumstances? I think that the great big dividing line is, help me understand what's happening here. Are you asking me to dishonor and disobey disobey Jesus? Is that what you're asking me to do? Are, Are you asking me to abandon my love for, my commitment to, and my dishonored, my, my desire to honor Christ. How is it? And, and so for the, I get, I get, I get that uh, unbelievers ask us to do that all the time. And I'm not going to do it. But I'm also not going to do it with my, with my so-called believing friends either. So well, the way that. I, I, I guess, I guess I just, um, uh, and trying to, I, I understand the whole institution of marriage created by God, man and woman, and all of that. And like I said, I, I would not go to a gay wedding. I'm just looking at it from a pharisaical point of view in the sense of Jesus being invited. And you say, well, that was a setting. But at the same time, they were celebrating. If Jesus walks into there and he, you know, he ministers to them, how how are we to say that this woman can't be like Jesus at the woman in the sense of being that uh, person at the uh, well that, that she hands a Bible to her grandson saying hey um, you know so um, I'm I'm trying to um, I, I guess for for lack of a better I'm, I'm trying to equate. Or not equate, but I'm trying to see what would Jesus do? Would Jesus tell this uh, – what What if this grandson asked Jesus to come to a homosexual wedding? You know, he, you would say Jesus would say no, right? I, yeah, I, I think so. 
And, and so the way that I think about this, weddings are different. Weddings aren't parties. Um, mm-hmm. Weddings are so, – so the way I think about this, God has ordained the family. Right. God has ordained government. God has ordained the church. So, so the family and government – and the church are, are 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 institutions and the the way that i think about it is that same sex marriage borrows the the biblical um meaning remember the bible itself points to the fact that marriage is something important and real institutional cultural societal and important, but it also is spiritual in type. It's a picture of Christ in his church. And so homosexual marriage becomes, I'm going to use the term, and I'm trying not, and even as I'm saying it, I know it sounds harsh, but it is a blasphemous misrepresentation of the spiritual typology. Right. And the reason why I've taken... I'm, I'm going to disagree on this is because I I thoroughly agree with everything you've said. It, the, the whole institution of marriage goes to another level from a, a cultural, you know, the whole nine yards from a spiritual God created thing. I totally get that, but I am just trying to improve my apologetics. And because I know I'm going to be having some conversations with both Christians and non-believers right. who will take that side, you know, so of, let's, of, and, oh, I think, Okay, so and let's go there for just a second. Let's go there for just a second. And to me, the apologetic go there for just a second is this. Does love have limits? Yes, it does. And, and so that's, so at what point do you go, when does love cease to be love and become a perversion it becomes a wicked misrepresentation of love. Well, when you sin, and what God deems sin in the Bible. See, and so, so, so that's the that's this is the great big dividing line. Mm-hmm. Jesus, in love, invites sinners to repent of their sin, to reject their sin. And in humility, receive forgiveness. He never approves of it, and he never celebrates it. So I'm trying to imagine, again, a Jesus, where Jesus goes, I'm trying to imagine a scene or a circumstance where Jesus celebrates sin. He does. I can't find it in the Bible. Right. I but get again, the point. Totally yeah, point. and so, again, I disagree, but I'm not prepared to condemn Alistair Begg and say he is a worthless ministry. I'm just not prepared oh, to do no. that. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gina Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. If you'd like to join me, it's 303 303- 873-1935, and Greg called, and he asked about the uh, 
the situation with Alistair Begg. And one of the people who's written, I think, um, lovingly, biblically, in a balanced way, um, is a person named Owen uh, Strand. And I think that even though you pronounce his name, name Strand, it's S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, Strachan, Owen Strand. I think that the C-H is silent, but it's Owen, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. And he writes at Substack. And um, he provides the exact quotations of the audio interview of the Truth For Life program where Alistair, and it it featured uh, Bob Lapine, who's also been on this program. And Alistair basically made, and I'm quoting him exactly. He says, quote, and in very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this. And I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. And in that Alistair Begg voice, and in a conversation like that just a few days ago, he says, and people may not like this answer, and he's exactly right, we didn't. But I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. What he said next, however, sent shockwaves through the evangelical circles. I said, quote, this is Alistair Begg again. Well, then, okay. As long as he knows that then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony and I suggest that you bring him a gift. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. Now, Begg then elaborated on his thinking behind this polarizing counsel. He, he, and, and so she's quoting him, Alistair. I said, well, here's the thing. Your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything. So pause in his response. And here's the thing. Your love may catch them off guard. So back to the conversation that I had with Greg. Does love have limits? Now, what Owen Strachan, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, I hope I say, I'm saying his name right, points out that Alistair Begg has earned trust from Christians, and he would be correct when he says, it's hard to find a man, in fact, who is more respected in our time than Alistair Begg, and rightly so. Begg has preached the truth for decades, even as some of his peers have wavered on contested issues in recent days. Beg seems to hold strong. For example, not long ago, he preached, and then he says this faithful message about homosexuality. And and then he points out, okay, so Beg has earned trust. Second, he says, 
Beg is prone to stumble as we are, as as we as we all do. We know that Beg, like all our exemplars and heroes, is just a man. But sometimes we put men on pedestals. That's not right, and honestly, it's not fair to them. And then he says, Beg's error doesn't set him apart from the rest of us. He is called to a daily walk of confession, repentance, humility, and growth like every other believer. And then he goes on, um, third, this is Owen Strachan, we should not attend compromised wedding ceremonies. He he says, the Bible doesn't technically address so-called transgender ceremonies, so let's let that be said, nor is staking a wrong position on this issue akin to an unpardonable sin. We who seek to be convictional should be careful about such a hasty conclusion, especially in our overheated social media age. And again, you can find this at Owen Strachan, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, Owen, O-W-E-N, S-T-R-A-C-H-N, dot substack, dot com. And then he says, with these caveats, he says, I believe that Begg's counsel is unsound. Christians shouldn't attend transgender ceremonies. To explain why, in brief, I'll make some swift cuts to follow. And then he talks about the Bible doesn't enfranchise transgender identity. We are men or women. That's part of the creational design of God. The Bible speaks clearly to attempts to blur the lines of one's God-given sex. It's wrong. It's always wrong. Marriage is defined in Eden and reaffirmed by Jesus. It's between one man and one woman, and God is honored only by such unions. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. And then he says, attending a wedding ceremony is commonly and rightly viewed as affirming the union in question, as is giving a couple a wedding gift, as beg, encourage the grandmother in question to do. And then he says, Christians should therefore not attend transgender ceremonies, which in truth do not feature an actual wedding at all. For God recognizes no such union as holy or permissible in his sight. Now pause and and think about that. There used to be in old English weddings a phrase that would be used, does anyone object to this union? Let them speak now or forever hold your peace. Well, if I went to such an event, I would have to say I object. Because this is not a wedding. It is not a union. This is something that in a social and a cultural setting is trying to normalize and then celebrate something that is clearly wicked and forbidden. So if I show up and I say that, which is going to be more uncomfortable? And so Owen Strachan goes on and he says, <laughs> Christians should love people identifying as transgender in every way they can that does not so much as hint of affirming this sinful identity as with every sin pattern a person practices. And there are many. 
This approach of love is always gospel witness and action in a kind, for example, but wherever possible to translate into proclamation, namely through the call to repentance and confession of sin before holy God. So he goes on and he, he says basically, the gospel urges the proclamation that urges the sinner, say no to sin and eternity in hell, which unrepentant transgression of God's design will lead to. Yes, Jesus, the Son of God, crucified for the guilty so that we can be totally forgiven, made new, given a new identity as a Christian, and then granted eternal life. And so, he basically says, this is one of those situations where we have to take our stand and not give the devil a foothold he so desperately craves. Is is this going to resolve the issue? Is it going to continue to be a problem? Yes. Is LGBTQ a poison pill in families, communities, churches, and cultures? Yep. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, the number 303 303- 873-1935, and um, you know it's sad that, that that we have to have this discussion, but it reminds me again of research that's being done as people are asking and answering the question, "What do you believe?" And George Barna, who is uh, famous for doing surveys, he joined the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And um, he's written a book called Raising Spiritual Champions. But in that book, he talks about research that he has been doing. And he suggests that essentially... A worldview is formed by the age of 13, making the preteen years, ages 8 to 12, the critical window for helping children build a faith that lasts a lifetime. So according to George Barna, it's not enough to just simply try to reach a child, I'm going to say a young adult, a teenager, but um, that you have to begin at eight. You can even begin earlier, I guess. But he said that he was releasing research that talks about why it's critical to refocus efforts to train children with a biblical worldview. And what's the bottom line? He says, "My this is according to him. He says, my research, this is from George Barna, he says, my research shows that the foundational beliefs of 8 to 12-year-olds today 
puts them on a track to abandon biblical Christianity in record numbers. In fact, George Barna says, preteens are rejecting five central beliefs. That is, beliefs that are central to the Christian faith. Number one, viewing the Bible as the true, reliable words of God and as a guide for life. Number two, recognizing the existence of absolute truth based on Scripture, he puts in, in, in quotations. And number three, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the means of salvation. Number four, finding life purpose by serving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And finally, number five, defining success as consistently obeying God's principles and commands. Now, pause and think about that. So as he's pointing these things out, does your child view the Bible as true and reliable? Do they, do your, does your child recognize the existence of absolute truth based on the, on the Scripture? Acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone is the means of salvation, finding your purpose in serving God, and then defining success as obeying God. And then he writes, even more stunning, my research shows, that the most important influencers in the lives of young people, parents and children's ministry leaders, are rejecting these five basic principles at similar levels. He makes this startling statement. Only 2% of today's parents, and just one out of eight, that's 12%, Children's pastors have a biblical worldview. Pause and think about the enormity of that statement. How can a child cultivate a biblical worldview when their parents reject a biblical worldview and then even their children's pastors reject a biblical worldview? He goes on and he says, and I'm quoting him, and tragically, this void in worldview development is being filled by the single most influential input into the hearts and minds of children, media content, pause, in that statement. So, If the child isn't getting his or her biblical worldview from you or from their church, is it the television shows that they're watching? Is it the computer shows that they're watching? Is it the educational system that they're involved in? And again, he says media content, but I think that includes social media content. And then he goes on and he says, this is Jim, uh, um, George Barna. He says, 
children are intellectual and spiritual sponges in their preteen years. They're desperately trying to make sense of the world, their identity, their purpose, how to live a meaningful life. And then George Barnes says, unfortunately, as the research I share today shows, America's kids are not being discipled to think and live like Jesus. He says, we have a lot to do. And then he talks about his latest book, Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing the Heart, Mind, Soul of Your Child. And then he talks about how, um, again, digging deep into those key, those five key biblical beliefs. The Bible, absolute truth, the means of salvation, life's purpose, and success. What's interesting about that last one, success, George Barna says, only one out of six, that's 17%, of preteens consider the most accurate definition of life success is to be consistently obedient to God. The way I would even reword that is to be consistently obedient to the God of the Bible. And he says levels of adopting those five basic beliefs are low among the most significant influencers, parents, children's um, uh, pastors or 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 or, or instructors, pe- parents and children's ministry leaders. That's the word I was looking for. And he said, "Quote." A minority of parents, 44%, believe the Bible is the true word of God and provides and guides a knowing the difference between right and wrong and living a good life. And again, couple that with absolute truth, means to salvation, life, purpose, and success. It's creating a kind of a perfect storm where historical, biblical Christianity becomes less and less important. The good news? Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. A gospel witness will remain on the earth in spite of all of these terrible issues. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.